Welcome to the Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics with Reese Tiefertiller. Hello everyone, Reese Tiefertiller with the awesome Rich Rebar on the Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics podcast. Rich, how are you doing, sir? Doing great, guys. You know, we made it to October. Uh, September was pretty clean for us in the NFL, and now we're starting to get uh, some action here on some movement these last couple weeks and kind of throwing a wrench in this the season. I think we were taking it for granted those first couple weeks are running real smooth, and uh, now everything's starting to be thrown into a little bit of chaos uh, here. So uh, hopefully we get through it. But, uh, uh, yeah, we're starting to see, like, COVID actually make its appearance after kind of like three weeks of dormancy uh, waiting for that shoe to drop, and it has. The funniest thing I saw, and I haven't shared this with Reese, I don't think, it, Rich, the funniest thing I've seen on Twitter the last couple of weeks was we're entering the fourth quarter of the year. Let's just hope we're playing the Falcons. Yep, yep. I see. So, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things. All right. So Reese is 14 <laughs> for the audience. And I say this because Rich has a Zach Morris Saved by the Bell Twitter avatar. And he kind of uses that same picture for some of your other teams, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Reese doesn't know who Zach Morris is, much less it was a popular TV show long before you were born. And uh, how'd you get how'd you get on the Zach Morris uh, lookalike train there? <laughs> you know, Reese has on uh, some Zach Morris hair there, kind of. Yeah, you know, does. it's uh, not it's, that long yet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's looking there, man. We get you some high tops. Uh, you, you'll be playing the part. Uh, you know, it's. Uh, yeah, I've told the story a few times why I have the avatar. And what's funny now is since I've had it, you know, they've actually, it's come out that Zach Morris is trash, like YouTube channel. Um, <laughs> and the show has not aged well. And, and Reese, you weren't a lot that, you know, a, grew, up, grew up in the nineties. Uh, and we've learned a lot from the nineties. Uh, you know, the, a lot of misogyny and stuff was rampant in TV shows back then. But the reason why I have the Zach Morris avatar is on the show, uh, Zach Morris, you know, kind of no matter what happened, like he always had an answer to it or a pivot, like something bad would happen in the show and it would cause like a conflict. And then he'd come up with some scheme or something to kind of get them to get them through and counter that. And that's how I've always like thought fantasy football was like, you never know what's going to happen next, but you just got to kind of, you know, be on your toes and like, Hey, we'll adjust and make it through it. And that's why I always, I have that, you know, plus the nineties, you know, nineties child thing, the, the overlap, but that was the reason I used the picture of him on his phone. He just looks like, hey, I've, I've got an answer. We'll be all right. We're going to make this. We're, we're going to get through it no matter how bad this looks. And that was kind of every episode of the show. Uh, and so that's how I thought fantasy football was played. And I have i can't change it now. I'm like stuck. Like I, I, I've thought about changing it a couple of different times. And uh, I just don't think I can at this point. It's just, it's part of the brand. That's kind of how I feel about having mine, <laughs> this young man's picture when he's little sucking on popsicle i've had that picture you're 14 since you were what one i think it's been around as much as long as your fantasy football professional career yeah oh seven so it's been around <laughs> a long time and so i feel like i can't change it and people would rather see that than my ugly mug anyway so let's just move on from there right rich you know yeah, what i mean they'd rather see that all right. Yeah, there's a few people like that. I think like Sigmund Bloom is like that. Like you just yeah. you see that avatar and you know who it is and you see it scroll by and I feel like that's like just it's such a big part of my brand now. And people scroll through Twitter, they know it's a, a Rich Rebar tweet. Uh, it's part of the brand, uh, so I can't change it. It's unfortunate. I actually tried to change my Twitter handle like a, a like four years ago. If you remember that fiasco, and yes. 
that was a nightmare itself. So uh, just going to stick with Lord Reeves and the Zack Morris avatar and we're going to ride this train until it, it shuts down. You're pretty, you, you changing that was pretty much the new Coke uh, experiment. Yeah, wasn't it? It, it did not go well. I'm just thankfully no one grabbed my handle, the Lord Reeves handle while it was out there. Then extorted you back. It would be hysterical. Yeah. All right. So we are a quarter of the way through the season. We're recording this on Thursday night. And I want to talk process. So Reese wrote this little book. And last time Rich was on, we talked about how kind Rich was to give him his first five-star review. We appreciate your uh, your kindness, Rich. And so let's talk process, okay? You know, what's funny is we all, you know, Mike Tyson had that uh, saying of everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the mouth. And so we all yep, have this yep. plan in the off-season of how we're going to, this process, how are we going to build our ranks? How are we going to do it? Who do we believe in? Who do we not believe in? So let's talk top five hits, misses, and surprises. And uh, Rich, do you want me to let Reese go first and let you think about it? Or you want to go? Yeah, first? sure, man. Yeah, whatever wherever you, you guys want to do. You can go first, Rich. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, the one advice I too, could give to Reese, I don't know if we talked about this last time too, you know, as someone that's you know, strives to create more content in the industry and be part of the industry. Um, you know, I'm someone that doesn't really get attached to a lot of individual player analysis. I don't write a lot of individual player pieces. I, I do some, but if you check out my work, it's typically covering a topic or a question I want answered and I'll just do the work and post the results. Um, and I don't really get tied to individual takes because we're going to be so wrong and right on so many of these individual player analysis, but so much fantasy content is just individual player take based. Um, but if you can write more game theory stuff and more stuff on like structurally building teams or, and think about your approach from that stance, instead of just trying to get each player evaluation, right. You'll be a one, a lot better in the long run and two, create a lot more consumable content. That's even evergreen in the industry. Um, you know, just taking that approach. So when I look at it from like something I got right this year, uh, in my, from a redraft stance, uh, you know, everything that my, my team structure, the way it closed and the, what I, told subscribers in the fantasy chat and our plan of approach coming into the draft this year has put my teams in a really good spot. So not even talking about individual players. So we drafted bad players still too. I drafted bad players. I drafted good players, but from a team building approach, attacking the running, starting either running back, running back or running back tight end, and then just hammering wide receivers rounds three through six has really left my teams in a really great spot. Cause if you look at the wide receiver position, the top of it has been off injured and the top of the position has really come from that portion of the draft. Uh, so yeah, I, I've drafted some guys in those pockets of round three through six that didn't hit, but because I built my teams to take multiple players um, in that area, I've got a lot of teams with DK Metcalf. I've got a lot of teams with Tyler Lockett. You know, I've got a, a lot of teams that are structurally sound and they've got good running back anchors uh, at the top, even though I, I've run into some, you know, guys that have been, you know, cattywampus there as well. But structurally, my teams, my redraft teams are actually all really in a good spot because of the approach that we had. So just without even having an individual player hit or miss to talk about yet, just my main hit was coming in with the foundation of building my teams properly. And we're only four weeks in. A lot can still go haywire here. But through four weeks, I've got a lot of teams in good places just by how I approached fundamentally building the building blocks of my team so far. So two things I heard you say, and you, you really didn't say them. So I'm, I'm reading between the lines. All right. Number one, you either went tight end super early or you waited. 
to mm -hmm. the end, right? Because that middle ground is no man's land. And yeah. by you doing that, you also avoided quarterback early mm -hmm. because, and I'm going to infer because this has been recent I stance and yeah. projecting this onto you too, is, you know, Lamar came out of nowhere. Mahomes came out of nowhere. The quarterbacks that have been dropped, drafted at the top, just from a process standpoint, have had, they haven't finished at the top. You know, we see Dak now at the top, and he was quarterback three or four or five drafted. And uh, anyway, it's pretty interesting. What other things do you think uh, you think of process-wise there, Rich? Yeah, and I was on a – I don't know if you guys have had David, Davis Maddock on this show or reached out to him at all, but I, I did a, a podcast with him in the summer, and we talked about how the real honeypot for quarterback was the second tier this year. Yes. Because yes. they were the guys – because, you know, fantasy's changed a little bit to where – the athletes that played quarterback that were runners, and you know, I started the Konami Code, you know, in 2013 that about you know team 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 Tim Tebow and uh, you know Terrell Pryor, and their fantasy worth was undervalued because they had these high floors, but they weren't scoring points in the passing. You were getting these rushing points to get them high floors, and those points were weighted because rushing points are more weighted than passing points. But now we've had a transition to where these guys that are running are also great throwers and tacking on these, you know, 30 touchdown seasons. So we talked about that honeypot, you know, you wanted to get a guy and you know, wait to the possible, the last guy in that tier, whether it be Josh Allen, whether it be Kyler Murray, whether it be Dak Prescott, whether it be Russell Wilson, because that was your last chance to get one of those guys. And then either, either if you miss there, then don't go back in and get the breezes of the world, the Jared Goffs of the world, then wait longer and maybe attack and wait up for a guy like Joe Burrow that had the upside to be one of those types of players that, that is an athlete. Uh, I compared him to as a rookie prospect. I compared his situation very much to Andrew Luck. How many he's going to have to drop back? He's got sneaky athleticism uh, and probably going to throw like 600 pass attempts. He's already second in the NFL in dropbacks, um, and you know just kind of do that. So you know, we want guys that have dual capabilities in that's from the quarterback position. We want guys that can run, but we also don't want it to be their only asset uh, to, to have a floor because that's how you crash a ceiling. Is when you have a guy that can throw 30 touchdowns but then also give you 600 rushing yards or 500 rushing yards or can rush or touch that you get those 30 40 point games instead of those 20 point games and that's what's happened the start of this season especially if you guys play dfs these guys um you would play like a streaming type or pay down at the position that you know i'm gonna go down i'm gonna play ryan fitzpatrick and i feel good i can stream him he's, he's getting me 20 points feels a great streaming pick but in a DFS stance, he can't compete still with those guys. Dak's dropping 40. Uh, so, I mean, you're making a great pick. You're, you're managing your roster well, and you can win a season-long league like that and beat your singular opponent that you're facing that week. But from an overall construct of, like, having to, like, be high-scoring or win these best leagues, those are the guys that are dropping bombs right now, uh, and they're really hard to, you know, um, to cut into that production. They're, they're just – those guys are really tough to beat when they're performing on all, all cylinders. Hopefully Deshaun Watson jumps into that as well. And we see it ramp up for him now that their schedule opens up, but uh, that's the, the the type of guy you want to pursue at the quarterback position now in fantasy. Uh, Cause the pocket passer just doesn't have as high a ceiling that he used to in the game. And there's two things. So Reese can vouch. I wrote two names down. I was going to ask you about Watson because he's, a, he was in that tier. He just hasn't done anything. And I think we all underappreciated the loss of Hopkins to him, you know, take subtracting uh, Hopkins is big, but Fitzpatrick has been sneaky, 20 rushing oh, yeah. yards, 30 rushing yards. And it's kind of interesting in our four point per passing leagues, he has like 91 points, which is kind of crazy through four weeks. All right. So let's, mm -hmm. 
let, uh, let's push in a minute, Reese. Well, I was thinking everybody was all over Kyler Murray this year because they got Hopkins, yet they weren't downgrading Watson because uh, even though Hopkins was lost. So I thought that was kind of a disconnect. And plus, Murray didn't have an offensive line. But the two top scores were Wilson, I've been pretty much Wilson, Watson, and Allen, top three. And those three were drafting that honeypot that you were talking about. The other surprises have been like Aaron Rodgers, who's mm -hmm. throwing for a lot of touchdowns, even though he has played the Falcons defense, who apparently <laughs> you can somersault and still catch a wide open touchdown, as we found out in football. But the other piece to that, Reese, is uh, if you look at Wilson, bad defense. Dak, bad defense. Arizona, bad defense. So I think those quarterback numbers will normalize a little bit, Rich. Even Buffalo's, you know, when you look at them, they're bottom third, bottom fourth of the league in giving up points to receivers. So I think that they're having to score a lot to keep up, or you know what I mean. And so it's interesting. How about tight end? So what do you, what your process, what'd you learn, hits, misses on tight end? Yeah, just to touch on that, and Rodgers, he looks fully back after kind of like a four-year period of really being kind of mediocre, uh, you know, which is, you know, crazy to say when you think of, you know, where he's going to be at the end of his career, but he was. I mean, it's really no way around it, even from a fantasy stance. Like, he was a mediocre asset, and uh, for him to do it with Devontae Adams injuries, and then they didn't even have Lazard on Monday, so he's done it a couple of different ways, and you'll get Adams back. And, uh, you know, that's even another feather in his cap, but he's playing phenomenal. He looks like a guy that like 2016 was the last time we saw this version of Rogers uh, and he looks great. Uh, but yeah, tight end. Um, yeah. I was avoiding that mid tier and it's, you know, I did an article on that, just how that's always been a trap spot for everyone. What you usually typically see happen in a typical fantasy draft is you have your top tight ends go and then someone falls in a no man's land and they say, Oh, I've got to get the next tight end or someone doesn't stick out and they do it and they reach on a guy that's really not that good of an asset to have in the first place. And then, you know, you kind of just put, throw yourself like in a in haywire and it, you have to end up probably end up scrambling to stream the position anyways, that whole area was pretty nightmare so far. Uh, Darren Waller has been good, uh, but everyone else has been kind of a nightmare. Uh, there's really no way around. It. I think Hunter Henry has been okay. Uh, you know, no touchdowns, but, you know, he does have five or more catches uh, in all his games but one. So he's just been okay, uh, but he's not winning you anything. Uh, Evan Ingram has been a disaster. Hayden Hurst hasn't hit. Uh, Tyler Higby's had his, you know, routes run dropped all every game of the season. So if you really reached on one of those guys and got in there, not looking good. <laughs> not looking good right now. Uh, we got Kittle, Kittle back at least, uh, and we've seen what he could do. So hopefully that helps the top of the position. Yeah, that was the key as was the weight to that. The guys you thought could just make a jump, the Johnny Smiths, the Hawkinsons, the Noah Fants. Uh, and if you didn't, then you end up streaming, you know, so be it. But at least you didn't you use significant capital. Because uh, those guys that we mentioned that didn't hit the Higbees, the the Engrams, those guys were going around a draft spot where you were still drafting good receivers. You were still drafting good running backs, and uh, you know that's why you want to avoid those guys at those spots because you need depth. And this season, more than any season, we were finding out that depth matters the most. I had a question talking about we talked on our podcast with Chad Scott about like trading depth this year because typically if you're like, oh, I'm I've got running back depth. I'm going to move it this year. There's a little more trepidation to saying that, you know, like to, like I'm going to move my depth for, to just make my team more top heavy. 
um, through these bye weeks, these games getting moved, uh, the, the amount of injuries we've had so far, there's definitely a little bit of pause of saying like, hey, I ran into James Robinson, I'm going to sell high or try to package him for another piece and move and make this part of my team even better. There's definitely a little bit of extra thought this year that goes into how you want to manage your depth, even if you're looking strong right now. Oh, yeah. Well, to me, it's crazy. You mentioned Ingram and Higby. Ingram, Higby, and Henry were going in the same round as Kareem Hunt and Terry McLaurin this season mm-hmm. in 12-team leagues, which is kind of crazy to think about in hindsight now as Hunt's a legitimate running back one threat and McLaurin's a low-end wide receiver one. And you're getting – and I do get the Ingram love that if you're still holding on to him, as he's like third in the league with tight end targets. But you have to catch the targets too. And Giants don't score. Yes. And so on process, Rich, I, I was all in on Jarwin, and I, I liked Herndon. Herndon, I did – I failed to consider how bad the Jets would be. You know, I was giving them a benefit of the doubt. But Jarwin, I think my process was good now seeing Schultz do well. But sometimes your process is good and things just don't work out. But that's it's still improve the process, get better outcomes, right? Yeah, I mean, I look at uh, a lot of my individual player misses actually were those later round guys like a Herndon, uh, you know, an Anthony Miller, guys I was more on the positive optimist side on that uh, that definitely aren't, you know, there's not a lot, little optimism left on those guys. But uh, I don't, that's, that was, those guys were aim small, miss guy, aim small, miss small guys. Like uh, Herndon didn't hit, but like I have like no ill feelings about Herndon not hitting because one, he'd never costed anything in a draft and he didn't hurt my process. Like, a, like he wasn't a core player on any level. So yeah, I, I missed on the player eval, but it, it ended up, like I said, it's, it's not something that was part of my actual team structure that I was, was contingent on success. If he hit, it was going to make me look good and, and, and help my teams, but him missing, left me exactly where it was, you know, taking them at a spot, you know, 12, 14th round, taking a tight end two, it doesn't hit. No, no harm. Irv Smith's another guy like that. You know, you want to say like, yeah, can Irv Smith make the jump? Let's see. Let's find out. Nope. All right. Well, throw him, throw him back in the sea. We're, we're taking out, we've got another guy we're going after. And like Anthony Miller, Mike Williams, wide receiver fives, those guys, you miss on those guys, but it's, it doesn't hurt you. You know, when you have to take those guys as a wide receiver three and miss, now you got a little more implication. Um, you know, and how you build your team. So like I said, like that whole pocket of where we were just hammering wide receivers. I mean, I, I didn't draft, you know, didn't nail hundred percent of those guys, but because I was getting four to five guys in that area of the draft, you know, you miss on one or two, but have three or four solid hits. Like they're your core is still good. Um, you know, I, I think like Hollywood Brown, I got a lot of him and he hasn't hit yet. Um, I don't want to say he's a full on miss yet either based on his usage, but uh you know, I've, I've got him surrounded on a number of teams that are with guys like McCorn or DK Metcalf and, you know, Calvin Ridley. And those teams are doing really well with Hollywood Brown still kind of nursing his way, trying to fill out what we even really have there with him. Will Fuller is another guy. Three of the four weeks, he's been great. You know, he's been he's been awesome. We had the one scare, the Will Fuller scare, and I'm sure we'll have another one. But he's been great three of the four weeks. And, you know, so... Uh, um, yeah, that that real that just building my teams around those wide receivers in the area of the draft has really benefited uh, how my teams are looking right now. So knock on wood, and it, it, it holds. But uh, so far, so good in that area. Think about all those tight end ones that had <laughs> hamstring injuries. It's crazy with uh, Adams, Michael Thomas, Julio, Godwin, Godwin, Godwin had concussion too, though, right? Yeah, Evans, Galladay. I just meant though 
That's why having depth at that position is, is, is keen. The other thing on tight ends is we look in the top 12. I don't have it in front of me, but Jimmy Graham's a tight end one. He's like number 12. Tanyan is number one. (laughs) Number one. And there's probably another one in there. And they were all waiver wire guys. You know what I mean? Like that's why every year, every year at that position, we try to suggest that it's it's the deepest it's ever been. It's strong. There's a lot of athletes. We like these guys' spots. And every year, uh, Lucy pulls the football on us, and we're all scrambling. We're all scrambling. The other thing, crazy thing about Tanyan is we all liked him last year. You know, I mean, everybody was kind of mucking around on him, stashing him, dropping him, stashing him, dropping him. And then in week one, Josiah Delgara, or however you pronounce his name, got more snaps mm-hmm. and got hurt. You know, I mean, like, that's how tenuous this is that that we could be talking about Josiah instead of you know big Bob Tanyan and so uh (laughs) anyway all right any other uh so how about like your hits did you have any like hits that you think man I'm sure Pat I'm gonna wear out my arm patting myself on the back um not really uh like hits I think more of my things were like either like I said structurally were my best just my approach was what I think has been the strongest so far and I don't have like my redraft I don't have any like dying teams right now four weeks in just having that to be said is is a positive um I had some things work out for me so far I had Zika had a Saquon that's looked good so far um yeah I uh I was avoiding AJ Green at all costs. He was a guy I wasn't touching, so that's worked out. Um, a pre-draft, I tried to emphasize that Justin Jefferson was a good outside receiver and not just the slot receiver, and that's kind of looking good the last two weeks. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't like I said, I don't really get tied into individual player takes. That's why you don't see me have to like go back and circle things on Twitter and say like, here I called this. Um, that's not really my brand. It's not really the way I play. Um, I play in so many leagues either too. I'm not forced to get tied to one guy. You know, I kind of spread it around and, uh, you know, just, I I'm looking for team structure first instead of just individual players, because I understand individual player process and like what we are going to diagnose these players are going to be wrong. We're going to be wrong a lot. Uh, so I just look, I try to go for team structure first, especially in building teams and saying, entering a drafting saying, I have to have Calvin Ridley on this team. Like I would sure I would like him. I thought he was undervalued, but like I was never at a point where it's like I entered a draft and said, I'm getting him at all costs. Like if I don't get him, it's a loss. Like there's no way. Like, you know? Uh so yeah, I I don't really like I don't know. It's I don't it's not really my bag either to circle back and say, like, yeah, look, I called this. It's not my thing. But uh, you know, it's it's gone well so far. Uh the analysis that I dropped this off season. Well, I will say this and my brand is not to uh, one of the analysts on TV says the football doesn't spike itself. And uh, you know, that's not one of my kind of things. Cause as we were talking before the show, we're all, uh, we're all wrong so frequently that taking victory laps on the one or three or 10 that we get right just seems silly to me. Um, I don't mind it as long as it's, you know, as long as it's done in good taste, and you're not harming people. I don't mind. Cause it's the same thing. Like you said, an end zone celebration. Hey, you score a touchdown, man. If you don't want the guy to score, uh, keep him out of the end zone. You know, that's the same, you know, same process. Uh, as long as no one's out to maim anybody, I have no problem with people doing it. It's just not typically my bag. Uh, and, and so, I mean, it's not really my thing, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've got some things on my, le- some right on my ledger as well. I think the biggest thing that I did this year, well, two specific players, uh, was just not emphasize the, the talent level of the players and 
you know, over their situation. I think one is Keenan Allen uh, and just being more down on his overall situation uh, coming into the season, you know, having Anthony Lynn getting rid of Phillip Rivers, all the signals they had that they wanted to run the football more, uh, be a slower paced team and just kind of putting that into too much of his projection and too much of his pessimism and just saying like, hey, Keenan Allen's been really good his entire career. Uh, they're going to find a way to get him targets. And we're, we've seen that happen. And then the other guy was Stephon Diggs kind of being like, what's how is he going to move into this new situation? How's it going to fit? When you just look at Stephon Diggs, he's been good at all, his whole career. He's played with Sam Dar or Sam Bradford. He's played with uh, Case Keenum. He's played with Teddy Bridgewater. He's played with Kirk Cousins. He's been good with all quarterbacks. So just not really focusing and saying, hey, these guys are good football players first and kind of overemphasizing uh, the projection probably for their systems and what they were or were going to be uh, are two like pretty significant misses on my part. I don't have a lot of those individual players and the times I do have those players are just when they fell into that bucket, like we said, when they were the underpriced options of when I was drafting those receivers. So, so I mean, I, I have a team and I was talking to JJ Zacharyson uh, when during the draft and I drafted Keenan Allen, I was like, I don't even like Keenan Allen. I was like, he just fits my team here right now. And I took him, wasn't even excited. And now he's like my best receiver on that team. It was like my third receiver drafted. Uh, so you see how it works out and uh, stuff like that. But I was definitely more on the pessimistic side on those two players um, just because I was blinded by situation and not just focused on the player. I think DeAndre Hopkins was like that for a lot of people. A lot of people were looking at him changing teams and how it was going to fit in the system. And it was just like, hey, DeAndre Hopkins is really good. Like let's let's worry about that first, uh, and you've seen that play out. So uh, it doesn't always work like that. But those are two significant guys that uh, my evaluation was very wrong on. I was high on Allen after the beginning of this season, like higher than most, because he had 148 or 149 targets last season. That was wide, you know, top ten wide receiver, and we're not going to like him this year, even though it's a struggling offense and he's one of the few constants. Right. I, I just thought that was a little off on that thought process. Yeah, nailed it. <laughs> and so I, if I'm going to I take my L's, my L's were on the Buffalo passing game. I did not expect – I knew Josh Allen would run, right? I give him that. I did not expect him to be as efficient of a passer as he's been. Him, he, or Rodgers. When I watched that game Monday night with Rodgers, and when I talk about Allen, that I missed on him and I was down on him, now it looks wrongly. It it cascaded to Brown and sharing targets with Diggs, you know, with a sub. Mm-hmm. If you have the mindset that J- uh, Josh Allen is superior, superior, not inferior, he's not superior. <laughs> but if, if you have that, if you have that mindset, then you know how can John Brown and Diggs share time and be good? But mm-hmm. Rogers, I will tell you my one observation from watching that game against the uh on monday night with rogers it felt so much like josh got uh josh got uh easy for me to say jared goff when uh when mcveigh came to town he's calling the right play at the right time rogers had a lot of guys wide open that night you know oh, everybody <laughs> i know but i meant i think that the floor called an amazing game and we're giving the credit to rogers and that's good but if that was if Lafleur was calling plays in Houston, we'd be talking about Watson. Is all I meant. Or what am I? Yeah, I think I think that plays into like you know we we're talking about surprises. I think the biggest surprise that it's not even particularly fantasy related, but it is. There's an overlap to what's led to 
the Venn diagram of fantasy uh, Josh Allen being good, I think is Brian Dayball. Uh, It's like, you know, when you look at Brian Dayball, when he was in Cleveland uh, and it was obviously, he's always been a slower paced run heavy guy. And just look at everything the bills are doing from a structural stance for Josh Allen. They are throwing on first downs at a higher rate of his his entire career. They're third in the league in pre-snap motion. He's running play action passes, uh, double his career rate this year. So from a functionality stance of things that you want to put your quarterback in a good place and do, they're doing those things amongst the league high rates. And then instead of getting Josh Allen, you know, a a T Higgins or a guy, a clasher type, they surrounded him with all just guys that get open because he's the type of guy that has to see a throw to make a throw. He's right. that type of quarterback. And instead of getting him guys that win 50-50 balls or to jam targets into you, they got a bunch. They built that roster around all guys that just get open. Uh, so, I mean, you tie that in with Dayball's approach uh, and how they built that team around Josh Allen. They've put Josh Allen, and not a lot of teams do this, they've put Josh Allen in understanding his shortcomings and put him in the best possible situation to succeed uh, and that does not happen a lot, uh, you know, as much as it should. We think logically it should happen all the time, but very rarely does. Especially yeah. when you think like Dwayne Haskins getting benched this week or what happened to Josh Rosen and Mitchell Trubisky. And uh, it's very rare to a team acknowledges, hey, we've got a quarterback that does this wrong and we're okay. We're going to swerve into understanding like we're not going to fix that part of Josh Allen's game. Um, he's going to make some plays that are high, very are highly volatile. And they're going to put us in some bad spots. So we're going to take those on and we're going to maximize everything he does well. Cause he does have some attributes that, that we do like, and they maximize that to the fullest ability. They, now he's running pretty pure right now. I would expect a little bit of regression as hot as he's running right now. But uh, when you see just how the bills are approaching Josh Allen and how they're approaching the game plans. Um, I mean, Brian Dayball has been firing on all cylinders, man. It's the start oh, of the year. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, one of my biggest, uh, one of the things I should have thought more through is not trying to go for the cheaper cheaper receiver out to such as the John Browns instead of Stephon Diggs, the Gallup instead of Cooper, the Marvin Jones instead of Kenny Galladay. I was on the cheaper options, and it really has not looked that well for the cheaper options this year. Other than like maybe Seattle where they already had two that were yeah. fairly equal. They were just priced different. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, I think Lockett and Metcalf are fairly equal. They're just priced different. Yes. Um, so, hey, Rich, what are your, what's your take on uh, Aaron Jones? Did we as a market just misevaluate him or overemphasize Dylan's role in that running game? Well, Dylan's involvement at all is non-existent. Uh, That's my point. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Aaron Jones is one of these guys. If you just look at his career, we knew that he was always, he's been hyper-efficient his entire career, and it just was one of those things, I think, where it was just an overemphasis of, like, we know he's not going to score 19 touchdowns. Uh, maybe he will, you know, at the pace he's on. But, uh, you know, it was one of those things, like, all right, well, we know he's not going to score as many touchdowns. And then when you compare him to the amount of touches he gets, compared to the other backs, uh, his peers, his ADP peers, it was, there was, there was still such a gap. I think that scared, it spooked people off, um, you know, just saying, Hey, well, this guy might only get 285 touches or 16 touches a game into these 20 touch game guys, but he's so hyper efficient. And then he sustained the scoring rate so far uh, it's kept him up there, but I mean, you still see it. I mean, outside of the Detroit game, the touches, they're still playing Jamal Williams in that same role. Yeah. Uh, it's still happening. So, I mean, he just hasn't run into a cold spell. He's just running hot still. Um, he's, a, he's always been a good player. He's a really good player. It's one of those things that he said, it's, it's hard to discount good players. Uh, 
it, it, and when you do that, you typically go wrong. Like I said, I did with Keenan Allen and Diggs. I think Amari Cooper too falls in that bucket. I was I was probably a little bit more sketchier on his cost uh, than I was on you know just the what his production and the type of player he is. And we're seeing him just kind of hit, and he's had consistency to start the year. That was always his one knock on him is he was a, a volatile player and more on the inconsistent side. And he's been awesome all four weeks of the season. Uh, so same thing with Aaron Jones. Like when a player is really talented and we know he still uh, has the opportunity, uh, you don't really just want to completely turn the lights off on those guys. And I think when the last time I was out, me and Reese talked to, tried to talk you into Nick Chubb in that capacity, and we were looking good. Uh, we were looking good uh, until the injury. Do you remember my take on that, Rich? Do you remember what my perspective was? No, Rich, do you remember that? Uh, well, you were just wanted Hunt for the, you know, you thought just Hunt was the cheaper option and thought the upside is there. I thought they were equal and might as well have the fifth round guy versus right. the second round guy. And it was holding. If you look at them, they were pretty much equal. And yep. and if you remember back on the show, I said it was like the Priest Holmes, Larry Johnson call from the Chiefs way back when, where they're both worth their value. And I think Chubb and Hunt, if they if neither was injured this whole year, would both be worth their value. Yeah, they were both get they were both getting there. Um, yeah, it's just the same thing. The people that were down on Chubb, it was easy from like an analytic stance to to, to highlight. He's not going to be involved in the passing game as much. You know, there's going to be this role reduction and sharing carries. But the same thing circles back to bet on player talent. Yes. If the guy's proven he's already been good, bet on him continuing to be good. <laughs> But Hunt was good. Hunt was really good. No, no, yeah, that falls into that. That might be the same reason why we all, we're all high on uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire because of Andy Reid. Right. I get that. All I meant, though, is Hunt was really good in Kansas City. And uh, right. if he was in Kansas City now instead of CEH, we would think of them similarly. That's a, I don't mean that to be a bold take, Rich. I just mean the Kansas City offense opens it up like that. Do you oh, yeah, Absolutely. That? No, absolutely. And the same, it's the reason you would, like you say, it's the reason they go in on a guy like Hunt too, is to say it's proven. Hey, this guy has already performed at fantasy RB1 levels. We've already seen it. It's in the bank. It's, yeah. it's already proven. So like, we know that that exists. Like, let's not throw the baby out with bathwater, you know, just in a sense. And that's kind of what we say when you think about Nick Chubb, Aaron Jones, Amari Cooper, Keenan Allen, Stephon Diggs, all these guys that kind of the industry fought back and forth on. Uh, you know, player talent still matters. And if guys have proven they're good, you know, you probably at least want to stock them continuing to be good players, especially when they've already told us, uh, you know, what is the, uh, I don't want to butcher this off the top of my head, the Maya Angelou quote, uh, you know, if someone shows you who they are, you know, believe that's who they are. Yes. Uh, I know that's very verbatim and it's not exactly the quote, uh, but you know, uh, th- that's, that's the line, same line of logic here with, with all these guys that we want to fight back on and, pick apart all for seven months going into the off season, but uh, you know, bet on good players, bet on good players being good players. And I want to, I want to pile on and Reese looks like he has something to say. There's something we haven't touched on rich that I think you've avoided and I avoided for the most part. And that is staying away from those running backs that were past their prime. You know, those third round levy on bell shares or girly shares they're never going to pay off because you're buying them at the peak on, uh, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I just cannot get there. And even like teams that when you said, when they tell you they, this is who they are, the Rams can't run the ball. So everybody's pushing up cam acres. Like, eh, why don't we invest in somebody in a team that knows how to run the ball. And so anyway, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I thought that there was this, 
this valley in that third round, second, third round running backs after you got through the Aaron Jones, you know, and then it hit a cliff and now you're, well, I guess Melvin Gordon's good enough. I guess Gurley or Bell is good enough. Fournette was there some, but do you think we're going to see that every year? I mean, pretty much. I mean, that, that falls into what I led the show with. I mean, that's why my draft structure was, that's why my draft approach this year was built around that. I was avoiding that tier of running backs. I was completely, I wanted no part of that group of running backs. And that RB2 group has historically been the higher bust rate spot, whereas, you know, wide receivers in that area, the, the hit rates are so strong. So I wanted to structure my drafts around, you know, getting running backs early and then avoiding to have to take those pocket turning backs. Cause when you're, when you build a team and you took an early round wide receiver or some early round tight end, or you reach one of these quarterbacks and you're saying, well, now I foregone the running back position. Now I'm looking at it. Oh, I've got to get Todd Gurley on this team, or I've got to get, you know, uh, Le'Veon Bell. I have to, I've got to take a running back too. And some of those guys, there's been a couple of those guys that have worked out. I mean, Chris Carson's been, has been a good pick and um, you know, he's, he's held on, but uh, I, my, but my whole approach was avoid, that group of running backs, that landmine area. And so far that's played out uh, that because the, a lot of the top running backs outside of James Robinson have been top running back draft picks, guys that were high and not all the top running. doesn't mean all the top running back draft picks were hits, but all the guys that are leading the position more or less were guys that came from that portion of the draft. So you wanted to bite the apple in that area of the draft. Whereas when you look at the wide receiver position, like we talked about, the guys that are all at the top of the position there are from the area, that pocket, that rounds three through six. Those are where you want to get your bites. You want to get a bite there and, and get multiple swings. And if you got multiple guys to hit at once, you're looking probably pretty good. Even if you had a Joe Mixon, even that has had one good week out of four, or Josh Jacobs, who's had one good week out of four, but they're not absolutely burying you either. They're down weeks. These RB2 weeks they're producing uh, because your receivers are still good and you've got a running back getting touches. Uh, you know, your teams are still structurally sound and able to compete because there's a lot of teams out there that either took a wide receiver early and they're not hitting. And then by process of doing that, then had to chase running back twos and those, then it, then it's a snowball. It's a snowball effect. And now their whole roster is just in, in, in volatility and it's hard to come back from that. Well, you mentioned running back touches. I was really surprised when I saw this. Derek Henry is on pace for 480 potential touches. That includes carries and targets. And if you remember those old, those older fancy players, I guess in terms of how many years they've been in the league and the industry and playing, we're all super excited whenever we thought Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson had a chance to get 400, mm -hmm. much less Derek Henry getting 480. It's 30 a game is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all rushes, which is a bummer still. We're still not seeing him used in the passing game. He is, he's, is on pace for like a career high, like 48 targets. Uh, he's, if, they, <laughs> if they even, if we get 16 Titans games at this rate. <laughs> I wore this shirt just because of their being knuckleheads. If those of you listening, I'm wearing a Titan shirt just to troll Reese as much as I can. Well, how does that troll me? I don't know, but I'm trying. <laughs> but the other thing about Henry getting those targets early, Rich, is that he got those before Evans came back from injury. I think Darrington Evans is going to cut into those targets. Maybe not carries, but targets. Yeah, and it's the same thing with, like, Dak. And there's a lot of things that goes into these, you know, we're still in a very small pocket of the season, even though, you know, it's, a, you know, a quarter of the way through. Uh, a lot goes into building what 
the volume a lot of these guys have had. I mean, you look at Dak like Prescott's not going to throw for 6,700 yards. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> He's also not going to throw 800 times. He's yeah, I mean, same thing you're bringing up with Derrick Henry. Like, there's going to be a, a period here where there's reversion and there's some games where they don't touch the ball. Or the, the Titans are 3-0 right now, too. Like, there's going to be a game where, uh, where the Titans are getting blown out uh in negative game script and derrick henry's not going to be that involved because he's just not that type of player uh when the titans are down 17 it's not going to be derrick henry handoffs that's just not the way they're so i mean uh we'll see some reversion the same thing with Dak. there's gonna be games the cowboys actually do lead the cowboys have led for the fewest amount of snaps in the nfl the jets have led for more offensive snaps than the cowboys this season there's going to be games with the I saw your tweet on that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, there's going to be games where the Cowboys actually lead and lead early. It hasn't happened yet. And Zeke's going to get some carries. <laughs> uh, it's going to happen. And that's when your Dak Prescott 55 dropbacks turned to 35 dropbacks, you yeah. know, and that can happen this week. Right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and we'll see some reversion on that stuff. So it's still four games. Uh, I, especially when people freak out about wide receiver targets in four games, because it's, Wide receivers, we already know, like, it's the most hyper-variant position anyways. Uh, so when people freak out of, like, a guy not getting targets in two or four games, it's like, hey, well, that's that's par for the course. It's just we're operating in a sample of, one, you always want your team to start off good. Starting well means a lot in fantasy. Uh, so when you get behind the eight ball, you know, you start freaking out and getting extra uh, you know, more frantic, but uh, it's just a, literally like such a small sample for especially wide receivers because game script is such a big part or opponent and whether a guy was injured or something that happened, uh, you know, plays such a big role and we're only four games in uh, for to go off the deep end on some of these wide receiver takes uh, is, is also like, you don't want to push the, the panic mode completely yet. Especially DJ Moore's prime suspect number one there, right? Yeah, and he's had two games where he's had a 30% target share already, too, uh, and just two games that were, you know, down. But when you look at Carolina, we know that now there's really no worry about Ian Thomas or Curtis Samuel having large parts of this offense, which some people might have thought one of those guys could have coming in. So kind of four weeks in with them really not being a part of things only shows you it's still Robbie Anderson, it's still DJ Moore, and it's still the running back in that system. So targets will still find DJ Moore. He's running a route on 90% of the team dropbacks. Still, you know, it's still a situation you want to be a part of. Carolina surprised me, though. For them to be 2-2, and beat Arizona, that's surprising. I mean, we all had them penciled in, hey, what happens if they get the number one pick? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, their defense has been adequate. It hasn't been as bad as we thought. It's not good by any means, but just having an adequate defense is a big deal. And Teddy, you know, there's a reason Teddy is the best quarterback against the spread, uh, best active quarterback. I mean, he doesn't lose games. He's that old Alex Smith corollary of like, he's not going to put you in a bad spot. So, right. And especially with <laughs> a bad D, you can't have those turnovers. Uh, one question I have for you, though, I was going to let Reese pepper you. Uh, so I see the Washington football team, I almost said the former name. I see the move to Kyle Allen as pro Terry McLaurin because he only had eyes for DJ Moore last year. He uh, loved him some DJ Moore. And I think he's going to love him some Terry McLaurin this year. Kyle Allen, that is. What are your thoughts on it? Um, I feel pretty similarly about it as, you know, uh, it was with Haskins. Maybe there's still potential for upgrade, but I think the floor is the same. There's just nowhere for the targets to go. Kyle Allen was, I mean, objectively bad. Any pass like beyond eight, like eight yards 
was awful. Uh, he threw the mo- he had the most uncatchable targets on deep targets last year than any other quarterback in the league. So we probably still aren't going to see like the full ceiling unlocked for McLaurin. Uh, but he's already had a high floor even with Haskins. So um, I think it's just really kind of more par for the course still with maybe the added upside of if Allen does hit. Uh, but I think even going back to college, Kyle Allen has pretty much shown that he is not really a viable quarterback or commodity. I mean, it's the guy that was benching at the transfer at Texas A&M, lost a job to a random guy at Houston. Like I, I, I don't even know the guy that he lost the job to, uh, you know, in, in this he's, he's kind of just one of these guys that can come in for a few games and kind of be okay. But if he has to start the rest of the season, it's going to show that he's not a good quarterback like it happened last year. So I still think eventually we would like to see if maybe finding out how healthy Alex Smith is, uh, to kind of see, you know, uh, if he could actually, you know, maybe uncork the ceiling uh, consistency for Terry McLaurin. I still, still think there'll be some volatility for McLaurin because Kyle Allen is objectively not a good quarterback. Did he threw it a ton last year? How many pass? How many? How many pass sequences did Allen have? Panthers were second in the NFL with 633 dropbacks. I say dropbacks because there are some times where it's a design pass, especially with the Panthers. And it was a sack. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of them. But, but still, though, that's a lot. And um, so I think any pepper DJ Moore. T- DJ Moore had a ton of targets last 135. year. 135. And uh, Christian McCaffrey was targeted 29.3% of uh, Kyle Allen's throws. Uh, that stat was by Matthew Barron, his love-hate article that I read today. <laughs> Not that Reese reads football <laughs> stuff. All right, you have some questions for Rich. We appreciate your time, Rich. We enjoy talking football with you. You mentioned you were high on Anthony Miller. What was your thoughts on Allen Robinson? Did you expect him to break out like he has this year? Um, I, I, so I was really high on Allen Robinson last year. I thought he was a guy who was just too discounted for the same reasons that we talked about a number of players. Yeah. Bet on good players that are cheap, uh, you know, being good players again. Uh, that was kind of the thing. And I thought we'd see a similar season from him this year, like last year. He's in a spot very similar to Terry McLaurin. I mean, just you get a lot of targets. There's going to be a lot of uncatchable targets mixed in there, and it's going to cause some volatility like we've seen. Uh, but there's really no one else to really threaten him for targets. So, um, I, I had him right in that bucket. Uh, I would, I like Adam Thielen a little bit more. I've, I drafted Adam Thielen a lot more, but, uh, I have Allen Robinson too in that, in that same tier, um, and was drafting him. And I think that's what we've seen so far from him. He gets a lot of targets and then, you know, still is there's floor potential just based on the types of targets he gets from his quarterback play. Did you expect Newton to be a quarterback one? I'm, because uh, I think for both of us, we didn't expect Newton to be able to stay healthy. We didn't expect Running to be COVID, yeah. but and the <laughs> only reason why a lot of times he was viable was his rushing, and we were surprised that Josh McDaniels changed the offense so much to help Newton. Yeah, I mean, it was good. We talked about Dayball and what they did for Allen. I mean, the Patriots are are have always been a team that acquiesced to what they have. So, I mean – we just needed to see from a health stance, you know, Newton prove it. He was a guy I drafted a ton of for that same reason we talked about. Uh, he's he's going around like QB 15 to 18, and this is a guy that's been a bona fide QB one when healthy without even being a good passer. So, like, why not just nibble, and if it doesn't work, we throw him back, and it, it, it did work uh, outside of the, you know, the, the COVID week, and, the, the, and he didn't play well in the Raiders game even before that. Um, but you know, the same reason to take a shot at him and the Patriots, you know, being an organization that is intelligent, uh, put him in a good spot. Now just him being healthy and being able to run, you knew week one when they completely teared that offense to him running, 
you're like, oh, we're 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 gonna be okay here. Like we're yeah. gonna be okay. Uh, and then he was lights out in the Seattle game. And then I was the Seattle game was more impressive to me just because it, you saw him as a passer back to being dialed in. And you saw like that's when you saw the real upside again. Because in week one we saw the rushing. We're like, okay, he can be a streamable floor player. He can have these low end QB one weeks as a runner when he rushes for a touchdown. But then the Seattle game when they had the chase game script and they had to pass their way to fantasy points, that was a big light bulb moment. Maybe he won't do it against non-Seattle opponents, but uh, you know we'll see when that happens. But that was a big light. Like okay, Cam might he might have some real juice for us this year. Uh, so he was a guy worth taking a shot on uh, just because we wait on quarterbacks. We said, when you wait on quarterback, you want guys that have that dual, uh, the dual tangibility that can run and throw. And he fit that bucket. So he was a guy on my radar. The other thing, the tweet I put out uh, Sunday, I guess it was Sunday, maybe Monday, that I very much think that Newton on, if Newton's playing for the Patriots, they have a chance to go into Arrowhead and win in the playoffs. Is that- yeah, I mean, it would have been nice to see him play. In the, what, I think their game plan on Monday would have been completely different with Cam. I mean, you know, they, I think they were, they were, it was going to be a big run-centric offense against the Chiefs, a ball control. And that's, there's a lot of fragility to that approach as well. You have a turnover or the Chiefs just come out and score quickly. But that game was 6-3 to three in the third quarter. I was thinking the whole time, like, if they had Cam right now, like, this game would have been playing out just exactly how they wanted, but they would have had good, better quarterback play and probably more functional offense. They might've even have been ahead at that time. So it'd be interesting to see if they do get a chance to replay them in the playoffs with cam, uh, you know, at, at active for that game, how, how it plays out. Did you like what you saw from Damian Harris in that game? Uh so, so, I mean, it's, you know, I, I, just seeing any, any signs of life is a positive, uh, you know, he had the one long run, uh, but I mean, it's one of these, it's just a situation where he played the Sony Michelle role. He looked a lot like Sony Michelle. Uh, is he going to have a chance to score a lot of touchdowns? What happens when Michelle is active with him? Uh, is it going to be, they, do they play all four of those running backs together? Cause they still like Burkhead. I mean, Burkhead's a good football player. He's not a guy that's, you know, that, that they're going to warrant to give a lot of touches too weekly, but when they have to play Burkhead, he doesn't do anything that hurts them when they have to play him. And that's a big deal to a guy like Gobelichek. Yeah. He knows what he has in Rex Burkhead and like, he'll continue to be involved a little bit. They know what they have in James white. So it's just going to be dependent. And then adding Cam Newton is, you know, how many real short yardage bunnies are these guys going to get uh, with Cam, you know, being involved. So um I think he's fine if you want to pick him up through these bye weeks, kind of see what you get on, from Michelle's health stance uh, and see just how it plays out. Uh, he's not a guy I would be outright avoiding, but uh, still definitely have some ceiling uh, questions of if he's going to be like a true guy that is more of just a patchwork guy for your team or can actually help you. Yeah, for, on that note, they are very much not worried about tipping their hand. Rarely yeah. run with James <laughs> White in the backfield and always run with Sony Michelle or Damian Harrison rarely throw out the back to the backfield. And if you have a, if you're playing PPR league and you have Sony Michelle or Damian Harris, you have to bet on breaking a long run and getting a touchdown just to hit running back two territory. And so am I wrong on that? I mean, you got to catch passes to, to be able to be a week to week starter. And so for that reason, I've kind of avoided them other than if you're in a non-PPR league, he's worth a stash just because, right? 
Well, Mike- yeah, absolutely. It's the same thing we talk about with quarterbacks wanting that dual that dual tangibility. It's the same thing for running backs. Like we want guys that can't get game scripted out of the game. Uh, they're going to be in no matter what. We've seen it with like a, you know, and Zeke's probably a high level example. But the Cowboys have trailed the whole time, and Zeke's not coming out. He's still getting twenty touches a game. You know, they're they're not rushing. But like we said, that there's some fragility to Derrick Henry. Joe Mixon's a guy we've seen through three weeks when the Bengals are trailing. He doesn't play in two-minute drills, and he doesn't play in the four-minute offense. Maybe that will change going forward, but there's a reason Joe Mixon had his best game of the season when the Bengals led wire to wire, and they were, you know, there's a reason why, and he stayed on the field. I mean, uh, Josh Jacobs is a little bit like that. When the Raiders fall behind, uh, you will see if it's a Derek problem for Derrick Henry, but that's why we want to pursue those guys that can't be game script out of the game. They can catch passes. They're always functional. Um, that's why we elevate those players. Uh, and that's why they're important to us. That's, that's why we want those guys. Do you believe that's the way James Robinson is going to be? So far, he's passed the smell test of when your team gets blown out, can you still provide good fantasy games? In the last two weeks, they've just been in completely negative game script, and he's been a really good fantasy asset. And last week, he actually ran more pass routes than he had, and he's starting to cut into that Chris Thompson, get, starting to push him out the door a little bit too. So, yeah, I mean, I I actually was on James Robinson a little bit um, in pre-draft. Uh, I've got him on a lot of teams because he showed out from like a model stance, like just because he was a, work, a workhorse running back and he had a good you know production profile. But then when he was undrafted, he kind of j- just dropped out. And I took him in a few like fifth round rookie drafts and just took some shots, given that Fournette was a free agent. You know, be at, I knew it was at, at worst Fournette was going to have one year in Jacksonville and he was out. And, uh, but I've been like struggling, like, do I sell high? What do I do with him? Uh, because he's hitting right now and you feel good. Cause it's like a player you weren't counting on hits, but it's like, do you want to move? And there's always some gray area. And like I said, this season is always is real tough because when you have depth, you, I feel like you need depth this year uh, too. So it's really tough to just want to sell him and give him away. Uh, I'm really struggling what to do with him. I will say history and dynasty has been, uh, where you want to sell high on those guys. We've had yes. a lot of the guys uh, flash and then go bye-bye. And so you want to sell. One guy I wanted to ask you about, because I picked him up in as many, I went on the free agent blind bid. I went 30 to 40%, which is a lot in a dynasty. Um, and that's Darius Johnson. I think the way Cleveland has opened holes that um, Dearness could uh i know you're from the cleveland area ohio ohio but ken what do you think so dearness johnson is very similar to uh what we saw with benny snell last year they're, they're very similar players uh not very athletic grinders they're going to get you what's blocked uh not really create on the second level a lot but just positive yardage not really going to be assets in the fantasy game very benny snellish type player he's he ran a 4842 coming out of school uh like benny snell you're not much of an athlete but it's going to do that so i think when you look at the role nick chubb was playing complimentary with kareem hunt so kareem hunt's role probably grows the kareem hunt role expands the nick chubb role shrinks a little bit but dearness plays the nick chubb role and so we'll see him. And, and, and the other factor in this whole scenario is just, uh, you know, the groin injury or whatever he's, you know, Hunt is dealing with from the, the groin stance. So if Hunt was the, were to get hurt, we would probably see it oscillate back and then the Chubb role or Deionis role get a little bit more. And then Hilliard plays the Hunt role. Uh, you know, he's more of a pass catcher guy. So I think that's what we see, uh, you know, from this, you know, play out. 
the hot roll expands right now. The chub roll shrinks. Dearness is in the chub roll. He's a grinder. Going to get with gun. It's going to get with blocked. He's going to get probably. I would. I would assume. Like if you just want it from like a projectable like touch count, like probably realistically like eight to twelve touches maybe in the in, in like regular game script unless they're up thirty again. You know, uh, like you know they were last week. Um, and that's how they're used those guys in that capacity. Because like I said, that's who uh, kind of the, the guy Dearness Johnson is. I would even say I think his touches are higher given Hunt's, uh, Kareem Hunt's tenuous groin. You know yeah, I mean? We just like, don't know about the impact of the groin is what we don't know. Right. But there's upside is all I meant, though, is mm-hmm. that 8 to 12 turns into 15 to 20. Now you have a running back 13 to 15 on your hands. I'm not saying he's great. I'm saying running back 13 to 15. Uh, does that seem reasonable? Yeah, I think that when you talk about like who would you rather pursue, he's very similar to what we talked about Damian Harris, uh, you know, kind of in a similar bucket and you can get him cheaper because he's not as flashy as a name, doesn't have the draft pedigree, uh, you know, he's, but he's going to probably occupy similar touch counts and the same types of touches. Uh, and then the, and the rushing touches in the Browns offense have been pretty strong so far to, yep. be, ta- to be latched onto. That's uh, right. you know, we talked about when I was on the show, we talked about Stefanski the last time and that kind of tried to feel what the, you know, that it was going to be and We've seen them use a lot of, you know, pulling, pulling guards, uh, pulling tight ends. I mean, that, that Odell Beckham play, when you watch it, is, was so incredible because they show counter, uh, and then Harrison Bryant's pulling the opposite direction. He, it's, it's awesome uh, what they're doing. He's another guy just dialed in ever since that first game, and it's easy to say they give them a pass that, one, they're playing the Ravens, and then, two, no one lack of practices, you know, for a lot of these, you know, teams that had new regimes. So we'll see, though, when, um, you know, as they will keep this up. I think that game is particularly interesting on Sunday with them and the Colts and because we're trying to figure out what the Colts exactly are too based on the opponents that they faced the opening month you know the Vikings are the best offense they faced uh you know to, to open the season we kind of really want to figure out what we've got you know in the Colts defense and offensively they had so many injuries we're trying to figure out what we've got going on with them too right T.Y. Hilton talk about a, a a negative surprise I don't know what to make of them you know mm-hmm. but these there's no like push still either from him. Like with AJ Green, we it's easy to to be out on AJ Green based on the start because we see T Higgins get more reps. They have Tyler Boyd. Uh, with T Y Hilton, you still say they've got nothing still. Like Paris Campbell's off the board, Michael Pittman's off the board. They're trotting out Zach Pascal and Marcus Johnson in, in three wide receiver sets. Like eventually, targets have to go to T Y Hilton, right? Whereas the Bengals, we say they've got people to divert targets to eventually that they've got to throw to T.Y. Hilton, right? <laughs> I have them on too many teams. As we start wrapping up, do you have any questions for Rich? Yes, I always have questions for Rich. Uh, so Rich, I look at process for next year for Reese. Let's say Reese writes part two, number, you know, second edition. If you look at your process, what would you say that, hey, I, I did this right. We talked about it at the front of the show. What would you, how have you improved your process or thinking about how you would improve your process for next year? Yeah, always growing, always learning. Oh, yeah. uh, the best thing I say is if you want to write about something, ask yourself a question and, and then just write about it, you know, just, and don't, don't go in with a predetermined notion of writing the article in that stance, just ask the question and let everything steer you and just answer the question and, you know, uh, through your results. And then, like I said, uh, 
the real edge that you can have, I think, in the industry and in this space right now, which is which is saturated, um, but it's saturated in individual player analysis. So, you know, find things to write about that aren't just you talking about how you feel exactly about a player. You know, don't lead it, you know, don't write about, you know, hey, I want to write a chapter about Stefan Diggs or I want to write an article about Stefan Diggs. Um, you know, think about, you know, writing things that, you know, from a top-down perspective that can, because because that's how you write evergreen content in this industry. Uh, if you write a player piece, it's only going to be good for that, for you to go back and have one of those tweets like your dad said to say, hey, I called this, uh, looked at it. But if you write something that is game theory uh, approach, or it's about a draft strategy, or it's about, you know, targeting guys that, you know, the types of targets they get and this is what you should focus on, on on drafting your wide receivers or something like that that stuff you can forever link to or forever put out and say hey um because it's not just driven about that individual player about the individual outcome it's driven by approach so think about writing more uh, on approach of playing fantasy because uh, that's the stuff that uh, is still we're lean on in the industry not enough people are doing it uh, it's still a, a rankings individual player take based industry, even for being a saturated industry, but there is a lot of room on the table for, uh, you know, approach how to play fantasy football. Still, there's still a lot of room uh, to, to get in and, and write about that type of content. So uh, I would nudge you to go in that direction. I will say that from an SEO stance, that's not always the most popular content. People love to click on player name stuff. They love to click rankings. That's the stuff so you do want to just be popular. Those are the pieces that will be popular, but I will say that the, uh, the good work and what leads people, um, think about it just anything in life. Uh, I don't want to hand out fish to people. I want to hand out fishing poles, you know, and that's, uh, th that's the way I approach, you know, fantasy football. Uh, that's the way I tried to, you know, hopefully, you know, people treated me like that's why they like to, to read my analysis or content or have me on these shows uh, because I would rather talk about playing the game uh, and how you should play the game and the way you can get your edges playing the game instead of, Hey man, we've got to take we've we got to take this guy. Like Anthony Miller is going to unlock your season. <laughs> yeah, because that, that, that type of stuff really is you know thin and far between, and it's harder to nail, uh, and it's hard to do. It's it's hard enough to to get the players right we believe are already good players, uh, to let alone to, to grasp at straws. So uh, I would encourage you to just focus on that avenue, uh, you know, and anything any help you need you can always reach out to me or anyone in the industry the, the good thing about this industry it's it's filled with a bunch of people that understand that as the industry grows it helps everybody it's it raises all tides uh fantasy football has been as small as it will ever be every year i've done this uh and i don't know when that that balloon pops um we'll see because it hasn't even happened really through covid it was a tough off season to create content for people because we didn't know but we've seen fantasy football in season is still just as popular as ever and it's just as much of an outlet and the nfl is just as popular as it's as it is um so i don't know that was long-winded i hope that helps uh hope you got something away from it uh but always reach out i'm here for you the two things i heard from you rich is and so if we go from player and we look at coach, I think some of the offensive coordinators that have adapted, we should give kudos to Brian Schottenheimer, you know, uh, Russ is cooking. You mentioned Dayball, but even a piece on Greg Roman and how he's adapted to Lamar and how he's adapted to quarterbacks over the years would have unlocked the Lamar key or code back then. And I, I get very much, how do we raise it to a bar where we're taking a mile high view instead of a, you know, nose on the keyboard 
or knows on the screen uh, view. The other one I have, and then we'll close is, I think avoiding bad situations is sometimes also helpful. You know, avoiding the Jets would not have hurt you this year, you know, or <laughs> avoiding some bad, bad teams. Cause it's really hard to get good fantasy production on bad, bad teams. Uh, it's easy to say the Giants now without Barkley, but I mean, I don't want any Giants in my starting lineup right now. Do you? <laughs> not not the way they play. I mean, this is a team that what they scored on one of their past 28 drives. Yeah. Uh, they've scored on three. They have three touchdowns. They have three offensive touchdowns. How <laughs> I many um, I the Jets have? More. <laughs> uh, they have a few more. Um, try, well, last week they last week they still only had what well, they had a defensive touchdown. Yeah. Sam Ficken kicked like 19 field goals. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Reese, yeah. you have questions or comments for Rich? Thank you for being on the show. Yeah. Oh, I, all the time, brother. Listen, man, uh, I, I encourage you. I, I appreciate your path. I want you to still be doing good in school. Uh, you know, definitely, you know, I know it's, it's a lot harder because I think you're in and out, right? You're at home and in school. Um, I know it's tough this year. It's, it's unique, but make sure you're still, you know, locking down schoolwork, uh, doing that first, and then, you know, getting because what you what you established now uh what you learn then you can always take and apply to your you know your fantasy acumen and how to approach uh playing so definitely focus on your schoolwork first the same thing tell my son make, you know i just want to make sure you're doing i know your dad's on you too yeah, but, uh, they make sure they mom, make sure i'm on it mom and <laughs> mom and dad are on him mom's a high school ap calculus teacher and so over dinner tonight before we recorded this show pulls out her phone starts looking at the grades and so uh True or false? This is true. And so, uh, and but you know, I do think just these conversations in football about process helps him think and maybe contextualize other parts of his life. And you know, how do I take feedback? How do I look at my process? And that's the stuff that nobody taught me when I was younger. And so, I appreciate your kindness, your time helping him because I want him to be smarter than his old man, which probably will take longer than he wants and less time than I want. Right. But, and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just one of those things. And so, Oh yeah. Yeah. Thank Listen, you. Listen, Like I said, on the last time I was on uh, just to, you know, especially at your age, it's, it's an extreme positive to just have you be so passionate about something already at 14 uh, to find an, a, a, a niche that you're, you're dialed in on. So, you know, stay dialed in. Uh, it's, it's great to have. And uh, I'm, I'm happy for all the, the you know, the success of the book. Uh, hopefully all your teams are doing good. And uh, like I said, I'll be happy for one day to keep the bridge open to when uh, I need to be employed by you. <laughs> have a good one, Rich. Bye. <laughs> I appreciate it guys. <laughs>